0: Thank you. Welcome to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host D. Brown, CEO. Joining me today is the Chief Higher Education Officer for the P3 Group. Please help me welcome John Smith to Self Made. Hey, V. Hey, it man, going? Glad to have you on the show pleasure to be here. Yeah so John you know first I want to start by just highlighting the fact that you work for the P3 group which is uh, my firm and you serve as the chief higher education officer uh, for the company and we're gonna get into some of the work uh, that you do there at the P3 group but I know you grew up in Clarksdale Mississippi uh, a small rural impoverished community in the Mississippi Delta so just so my viewers uh, viewers can understand your background and your journey talk to me about growing up in Clarksdale what it was like. Well growing up in Clarksdale uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the, the worst of worst,
1: but it was uh, it was hard coming from the Mississippi delta and, and, and just knowing that uh, the, the tables would normally be the odds were stacked against you and you just had to work a little harder than everyone else you had to you really put your best foot forward because you know most of the times the people that, that that wound up staying there were weren't the ones
0: that you wanted to be like. Right, right. And so growing up there, what, was, what were some of the challenges that you faced in the community? Well, uh, in the community, we had, we had a lack of
1: resources. Uh, we kind of pulled together and, and made sure that we, we did, we were able to uh, carry on the normal functions with your little league baseballs and your t balls and those things. But we didn't have a lot of the, the, the fundamental things as, as related to uh, furthering your, your education uh, that 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 a lot of the other communities had you know a lot of the programs a lot of the uh, Things that were poured into other communities weren't poured into the Mississippi Delta
0: right now you played uh, football and, and sports in, in high school and uh, what was that like there in Clarksdale? Well, that was one of the driving forces that helped a lot of
1: people get out of Clarksdale uh, the football took me all over all, all over Mississippi, uh, took me throughout the state, and it, and it actually opened doors for me. Uh, it, it paid for my college, you know, I didn't, have a, I didn't have student loan debt you know, because of football. And football brought me a lot of brothers, it taught me a lot of great things. Uh, I watched older, older gentlemen like yourself, yeah. uh, who, who, who were Wildcats, uh, and I wanted to be exactly like them and like my brothers and, and other people in the community. Because we saw football take them from the Mississippi Delta
0: to your, uh, numerous universities and across the globe. Right. And you know, I'm a big believer that a lot of the principles that we learn um, in, in sports and athletics uh, transcend into what we do in business and life, et cetera. What, what are some of the lessons you learned from playing um, sports that have? help you grow as a, uh, a business person. Well, one of the greatest lessons that I learned in playing football
1: is understanding that when you get hit in the mouth, you got to get back up and get ready to get hit
0: again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's very accurate. And I know you are, uh, you, you study a lot of, uh, you know, historical figures. But who are some of the historical figures that have influenced you in terms of the direction you've taken in your life?
1: Well, just, just growing up in Clarksdale and understanding the blues mantra of Clarksdale, but then understanding the whole civil rights aspect. So you had your Aaron Henrys, your uh, Dr. Vera Piggies, your uh, Dr. Joe Nathan Harris, those people within the community. Uh, we were able to look at them and see them, you know, travel from that community and, and make, make waves across the united states across the world and become great people great successes along with uh, your blues singers your sam cooks your ike turners you know your bb kings all those mississippi delta legends you know right
0: and so in in clarksdale um you mentioned there were very limited resources but also when you think about from the standpoint of um role models uh there were role models there but still there, was, there were limitations for the most part in terms of what you could see and imagine. Uh, so it, t- it took really traveling and, and going abroad to, to expand your, your horizon and your, and your thought process. But then there were also, uh, I know you did a lot of studying you know, on figures like W.E.B. Du Bois and, and others. Uh, how did those studies influence you?
1: Well, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, Booker T. Washington, uh, those figures, Frederick Douglass—you know—just being able to. I had a history teacher by the name of Miss Martha Espy, mm-hmm. uh, and she would always, she would always encourage us to read things. She would encourage us to read about our history, and when I would read about the W.E.B. Du Boises, the Marcus Garveys, the Booker T. Washingtons, and you would see the different things, uh, the different uh, things that they wanted uh... for our people uh... and they did they did differ you know w.e.b. Du Bois and uh, Booker T Washington and Marcus Garvey all three had different perspectives on things uh... my favorite of all was Booker T Washington uh... because he he spoke more to understanding how to do things with your mind and with your hands uh... w.e.b. Du Bois was more of you you get an education and you clash yourself within the education uh... Garvey was more of a a, a pan-Africanism and being able to take your people and take them back to Africa and and build there. Well, I was one that wanted to be still in Mississippi around my people. So I took to uh, Booker T. Washington and understanding how to take one's mindset, you know, one's abilities and one's knowledge and and what you can do with your mind and with your hands. And my father was also a great a great influencer of that because he always taught me to understand to do things with your mind and your hands and they can never be taken away from you.
0: Right and I know your your father was a, a big influence in your life and you recently uh, lost him. Yes. But talk about you know your father and the influence he had on your life.
1: Well just just growing up understanding that you know there was, there was going to always be two ways to do things. There was gonna be a right way and it was gonna be the wrong way. And he demanded things to be done the right way. Yeah. You know, and it was one of those things where even if I did do something the wrong way, I was trying to figure out how, how to explain it to him right. the right way. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And you worked for him as well growing up. Uh then. for two dollars an hour for Smith Construction. That's how I even got started in construction. Uh, I was a professional lumber toter. Yes. yes, he called me. Yeah. Uh, he told me I did my best work at 4:30 because it was quitting time. You know, but he 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 instilled in me the hard work, the understanding that if you tell a person it's going to take 19 two by fours, it shouldn't take 21. Right. You know, and he would challenge me to understand exactly how many how many rows of how many squares in a ceramic tile building would it, you know, would, would equal a square foot or, yeah. how, you know, I actually, I actually got a free whoopings because I didn't, I didn't remember that it only took nine tiles to make a square foot when we were doing a bathroom wall. I came in the room with 12, yeah. you know, and he's right. like, no, you, 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 you're creating scrap. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's going to hinder you from doing a job. So he always taught me that, you know, if you do a job well, you know, people will call you back to do another one. Right. You know, if you don't have a lot of scrap land beside the building and trying to take something home to, to, to work on some, or I'll take these two home with me. You know, he believed in doing
0: it right, you know, being being very precise. Right. And I know that uh, your early career, you've, you've served in a lot of different capacities before you uh, came on to the company uh, with us. Talk about kind of your early professional career, some of the, you know, uh, jobs or roles you've you've held held that uh, were impactful. Well,
1: my first uh, job uh, after matriculating at Alcorn State University, my first job was with uh, First American Bank, a small minority bank in Jackson, Mississippi. It's now Liberty Bank. Uh, I was a retail manager trainee. Uh, I managed all the customer service agents, I managed uh the tellers uh and it was a a great experience in banking until I realized that retail banking you make you didn't make any money. Right. You know. <laughs> and I I spent I spent a lot of time, you know, at the bank and understanding how the banker system worked, but I did meet a lot of people. Yeah. there that I saw doing various things. I met your I met your different construction guys, I met your different uh logistic guys, you know. And I saw them coming in out of the bank, okay. I'm like, okay, they have money in their account. Yeah. And I'm the retail manager trainee. There's there's not the same amount of money in <laughs> right. their account and my account. I need to try to
0: do what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's what inspired you to to leave. And and once you left the bank, kinda of talk about what you did later.
1: Well, I left the bank and I got into uh I started my own marketing company. I started doing um, urban lifestyle marketing for a few companies. Uh I went to Dallas, Texas, my first ur- my first big urban lifestyle campaign. I got to dress with some coffee stockings and put a tinfoil on and be a Hershey's Kiss. <laughs> you know, for $200 a day and I was, you know, I was in tall cotton as they say. Right, you right. Know? So that, that was one of the things and, but also being in that realm of doing urban lifestyle marketing, it taught me, you know, about the different things, the different facets of marketing, the different
0: facets of doing business and how business is actually done. Right. And so one of the things that I've noticed about um, people that are trying to progress uh, in, in business and in their careers, a lot of times people, people get stuck with just being comfortable and not wanting to adapt to change or not wanting to have change or disruption in their everyday life. But you know, of course it takes that to, to progress. Uh, what is your philosophy on being able to uh, make decisions to, to to better your life, and sometimes it, it disrupts the apple cart a little bit in the beginning.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the great things about change is you don't know what's going to happen. Right. You know, and and when you don't know what's going to happen, you know sometimes it's scary. You know, sometimes it can be fun. It's it's, it's like a movie. It's like watching your own movie. And if you don't want to watch your own movie unfold and be the star of your own uh, of of your own self. You know, it, it, it kind of leaves you in that place. So change and being able to adapt to change, is one of those things where you just you just you just grab a hold to it because it's very much easier to apologize for doing something than not doing anything at all.
0: Right, right. I think a lot of people um, they are afraid to fail. I think that's uh, that's something that uh, that's a challenge that I think a lot of people deal with, thinking that if they make a decision and it doesn't work out the way they plan. They'll be um, accused of uh, being a failure, but of course you know that failure is part of the, that. Uh, those ingredients that goes into really being successful, and and trying and trying to teach people that concept is sometimes challenging. Uh, what is your philosophy on failure and and, and risk taking? Well, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. All right. But
1: failure is just a stepping stone to success. Right. So if, you, if you ever meet a successful person, you've, meet, you've met a person who has failed multiple times. Absolutely. You know, if you know, if you're if you're you're gonna say I'm I'm highly successful, I've never failed. Um that's probably not gonna be true. <laughs> right. You know, and, and 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 we know that as being successful entrepreneurs, as successful businessmen, there's never this perfect, this perfect this perfect stair that you're just going to take one step at a time right and a lot of people you know they think they can just go press the button they're going to wait on the elevator right you know my 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 favorite route is the stairs because you're going to meet a lot of different people on the stairs yeah you know if you get on the elevator with a person you're only on the elevator with them for a split second but when you see a person on the stairs you know and if y'all going way up there you know i mean y'all got a long journey so you may get tired for a while and have to sit down and he passed by you and he tell you, hey, and you got to keep going because right. at the end of the day, you're still going to the top.
0: Right. You know, you're just not pressing that button in that elevator. Yeah, well, you know, I think that everything in business and success start with mindset. And of course, you know, I talk about this all the time. But I think that one of the one of the challenges um, that people deal with is that by nature, by just processes, we're taught to be mediocre we're taught to be average like we feel like in school where it all began if you go to school you make a hundred in class then you are considered to be excellent they say you made a hundred you're excellent but you know I tried to explain this concept to someone that was leaving high school going to play D1 uh, football that yeah you were excellent in high school but where you going when you go to Alabama to play football everyone's excellent Everyone that comes to that program is excellent. So now, what was deemed to be the the pinnacle of of of, of success is now the average. Right. And so being able to to to, to grasp that grasp that concept that doing a hundred percent isn't good enough. It's not good enough. It's average. And we're taught though we're taught in school that if we make a hundred, we're the top of the class. We're excellent, and we think that. Just making a hundred is going to get us through life. and I've seen a lot of people go off and, and, and fail in business and athletics because they felt like I could give that same uh, a, a, a amount of effort when I get around people that are all thriving to get to the same dream. We're all fighting for the same, for the same dream. Right. And, and I tell people all the time, you know yesterday's
1: touchdowns don't count on today's scoreboard right so what you did to be successful today you can't do the same thing tomorrow right because yesterday's touchdowns don't count on today's scoreboard so you have to score some more touchdowns for today's scoreboard right i mean you have to do a whole lot extra so right. you have to give that 150, 160% because everyone else is giving a hundred percent.
0: That's right. That's nope. the
1: only that's the only way you'll you have a competitive it, advantage. Exactly. It's everyone's wake wakes up at six, seven o'clock in the morning. Right. It's the person that wakes up at three or four. Right. Or it's the person that gets knocked down and doesn't give up. Right. You know, that right. just keeps on trying. I remember back when I when I was playing college football and uh, we had a, a little short defensive tackle. Uh probably about five foot two five foot three and you're like oh why would he even be on the field yeah it was because he never stopped right he never gave he never quit he didn't quit until the whistle blow But we had a six five guy you know that fit the mold right that you know once he fired off the ball and took on his man he stopped and watched the rest of the play right but the five two guy ran the play down If it was a fumble down the field, he jumped on the fumble, he was around the ball. Right, he always was gonna be around the ball. Always Always, gonna be around the ball. And and that's one of those things. You gotta put yourself in the action. You gotta put yourself in the fire. If you don't jump in the
0: fire, you can't even talk about being burned. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's a true statement. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, move forward to the P3 group now. So you serve as the Chief Higher Education uh, officer for the company, and you get the opportunity to work with a lot of college uh, presidents, a lot of uh, uh, different administrators, and so talk to me about the role that you have at uh, the P3 group. Well, as chief higher education officer and being able to talk with uh, mainly
1: HBCUs, presidents, um, your, your, your CFO of the university, uh, the 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 development foundations you know across the United States it's a wonderful process because you get to learn what each university is doing you know right. as, as we say all the time if you've seen one project you've seen one project right if you've seen one university you've seen just one university right. everyone does their own unique thing. Right. So, and in each situation you get to learn a little bit about each university and it becomes part. It, it becomes a part of you as you because at the end of the day, uh what we do is it's like coconut farming. You yeah. Know? Everybody's picking up plums. You know, but we're going way to the top of the tree. Yeah. So sometimes it takes a year sometimes it takes two. So within that process, you're going to develop a relationship with that university. You're going to develop a relationship with the president, with the president's assistants. you know, with the different people on campus, you know, so much so that you're going to already know that we're going to have a weekly call. So after that weekly call gets into about six months, you know, you're not just going to want to talk about that call you're going to know each other family members. Mm-hmm. you're going to want to talk about you know what's going on in, in the climate of the of the country, what's right. going on abroad what's going on around the world, not just what's going on within that campus right so it 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 opens the door to another facet of family yeah. you know to another facet of being able
0: to take something and develop it right right and I think that's kind of the um, rewarding part of what we do. Is that we we take um, institutions and communities that have been overlooked, uh, underestimated, right. the underdogs, the underdogs. You know, a lot of these these, these
1: smaller universities and the underserved universities they hadn't had developments or anything on their campuses in the last you know 30, 40 years. Right. You know, when you have a school that's 100 years old and they've only had developments on their on their campus when they started. Right. 30 years after, right. and now you know, we're coming to the table
0: trying to help revitalize and wake up some of those things that, right. that have never been done. And you know, uh, these institutions and communities have been uh, really uh, kicked to the curve, uh, placed on the sideline, and it's really requiring us to engage into uh, a true educational uh, process so that they can understand that they too can have nice facilities. Exactly, and a, exactly. a great, you know, because a, a lot of a lot of the presidents or a lot of the people that we
1: encounter within the university, you know, they are career academians. Right. You know, they've, you know, they've been in they've they've been in academia, you know, the past, you know, twelve, thirteen years right. and they only know the processes of government. Right. Or the processes of the state or the processes of the institution of higher learning. Right. You know, we come in and we teach them a whole new process of what a P3 is, how we can design, build, and finance a project on their campus with no upfront capital to the university, and the
0: university still walks away with money at the end. Right, you right. And, and we're finding you know situations now uh, in a, a market where interest rates are rising, uh, uh, the economy is slowing down, where we're having to even provide more significant financial support uh, to institutions to help them get these projects uh, to completion. And then also, we're having to convince uh, the markets that these institutions too uh, have the ability to be successful in, in yeah, implement the, the, and implement programs, the
1: ability to be successful, the ability to stay around. right. you know, and I, you know and I, I told them all the time it's like the institution has been here one hundred and twelve years, right. Where do you foresee it going within the next twenty, right. You know, but, you know, we have to still nurture those institutions and make sure that they remain, you know, remain solvent, remain uh, with the abilities to still educate the communities, educate the
0: areas, you know, and also bring in new programs. Right. That's right. Um, I want to talk about the Brown Foundation, uh, which is uh, my 501c3. Uh, you have been a board member uh, for the foundation for a number of years now and so I wanted you to talk about the Brown Foundation and some of the work that we're doing around the country to support communities uh, that we're helping to uh, develop. Okay well the Brown
1: Foundation has really been a wonderful board to sit on the, the, the board of the Brown Foundation because I have seen the dramatic changes that we have made and came in and transformed communities. Right. You know, I have I have witnessed the Brown Foundation Reading and Math Academy go from being in just one area of Harrisburg, Illinois, to this year being in about was it 12, I 13 states? Eleven states, 51 yeah. cities. Eleven states, 51 cities. Yeah. You know, I I I've watched it. I've I've watched the Brown Foundation go into. Go into partnership with P3 and do your 10 grand for your band initiatives. You know, a lot of times, you know, people have seen uh, four or five different HBCU bands spell it during their halftime show, right. and they, you know, hey, what's what's this P3? Right. But it, it's it's more it's more than just a letter and a number right you know and the Brown Foundation is more than just a foundation that's you know that's attached to a name right you know the foundation is attached to communities that's right you know and it's and we are the communities in which we serve so it's attached to communities uh, from Harrisburg Illinois as far south as as St. Thomas uh, Virgin Islands right so you know and, and we're looking you know to continue to do business across the globe across the united states you know yep. keep empowering communities and keep pouring into those things that
0: have helped shape and form most of us right absolutely And I, a couple programs that i just want to touch on that i'm that i'm really proud of uh... you know our attack on hunger, attack program, on hunger program where we have adopted uh... food pantries uh... in communities as well as at uh, on college campuses and a lot of people don't realize that about one-third of college students suffer from food insecurity. So they're in school, they're trying to get an education, but they don't have access to healthy healthy food options. And so our attack on hunger program is one that uh, I feel like is doing a, a, a valuable service to uh, these institutions and communities because a kid that's trying to get an education and trying to better their, their life shouldn't have to worry about where their meal is gonna come from that Exactly. day. Exactly. But, but the reality is a lot of college students are homeless and a lot of, lot of college students suffer from food insecurity, and so through our uh, Attack on Hunger program and through our initiative to uh, bring student housing and more affordable housing uh, into communities, uh, we are adri- helping to do our part to address those right, issues. Because we, you know, and I have, and I did notice that, and I have
1: noticed that at some of the institutions that we, when we do encounter and engage students, you know, a lot of them say, "Hey, I got a handshake, a smile." And a, and, a, and a kick in the butt and get out of the house <laughs> when I graduated from high school, <laughs> right. you know, and I was, you know, out, and I was either going to go to the military or come to college. Well, yeah. once I got to college, I got, you know, some student loan debt, I wound up getting put on financial aid, probation one semester and I had to, you know, had to claw my way back up and I had to work a couple jobs, you know, and it's one of those things is just hunger attacks, when it, when, it, when it attacks you, it doesn't attack just your stomach, it attacks your mind. Right. You know, and it attacks the ability to learn. It attacks the ability to succeed. Right. You know, and, and that's one of the great things, like you said, about the Brown Foundation, you know, with its attack on hunger and, and supplying food pantries, you know, across the South, you know, we're trying to make sure that we take it, you know, nationwide, but we have, you know, done a lot. I uh, think over, over $75,000 has been committed you
0: know, to the attack on hunger within the last 12 months. Right, right, absolutely. And then we have uh, uh, dedicated, you know, millions of dollars dollars to scholarships and other programs throughout these communities. And so those those are programs that we're most proud of, more proud of that work than the for profit uh, work exactly. that we do. Exactly. Although the for profit work helped fuel the uh, the engine that allow us to go back into these communities and 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 give a hand up. Right. Of Give a hand. hand. Yeah. Exactly. Because it's a it's a big difference. It's a, it's a
1: big difference between a handshake from a, a client and a hug, you know, from someone in the community. Right. You know, and when they look at you in your face and they tell you, man, I appreciate this, you know, that that's a big difference from that
0: handshake that's very yep. transactional. Look, you could not, I could not have said it better. Uh, We're out of time for this episode. But, John, I want to thank you for being on Self Made, man. It's such a pleasure. Yeah, glad to have you. To my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of Self Made with D. Brown, CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.